Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Today, we have with us Ben Leonard. He is known as being the founder of Beast Gear, and he is a classic millennial entrepreneur. Uh, that brand that I just said, Beast Gear, was created and it was grown by Ben until he exited, I believe, a couple of years ago. But he is here with us now and he has a new venture that we're going to talk about. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being here. It's a big pleasure. Tell me, how did you get started into this journey of e-commerce and building brands and, and selling Tell me all about it. Well, um, it was an unconventional entrance into the industry. I made a huge pivot. Um, I had no interest in business or entrepreneurship growing up. Um, I didn't know that there was like this entrepreneurial spark hidden somewhere inside my brain until I was 27. And my job was I was an environmental advisor in the oil and gas industry. I was the token tree hugger in the room telling oil guys they couldn't throw chemicals in the sea. So my background is ecology, I'm marine ecology, I'm a dolphin nerd, and, and I generally enjoyed my job, um, but I got quite sick. Uh, I got a heart problem uh, for the third time, actually. The first two times, it kind of went away. Third time, um, doctors said, well, need to nip this in the bud. Um, I got signed off work, told to avoid all of my fitness hobbies for six months and given a, a strong cocktail of drugs. So I was um, pretty down about that, but I started a new hobby. I created a fitness brand as a purely as a hobby. Um, I had no background in business. Um, I just wanted to see where it could go. I thought I could make the equipment that I had been using better. And my, my wife was busy studying, so she encouraged me. That grew arms and legs, quit my job, scaled it up. We were doing about $6 million in 2019 when I sold it in, in annual revenue, that is. And uh, so that's a very brief history. But yeah, that, it was an unconventional route into e-commerce. Wow. And, and you started, so Beast Gear, that was kind of fitness equipment. Yep. So that is not an easy thing to, to do, right? Well, you see, I think it's a good thing in a way that I didn't really know too much about business or e-commerce when I started, because I think if I did, I would have been scared off of, mm. of, of particularly that niche, right? So my naivete actually treated me well. Um but in some ways, I had an unfair advantage because despite not having a business background, my science background helped me because in, in science, we, we have a hypothesis, we test it, we look at the results, we analyze them, we tweak what we do, and we try again. Mm. So that is one step or several steps, I guess, better than trial and error, but it's not quite as good as having a business background. So it was better than trial and error. I learned by doing, but the whole time I was, you know, analyzing and, and thinking with a scientific head on my shoulders. And so that helped me. Gotcha. So you you have something that most people didn't, and it was that science background. And I have something, uh, I was going to say it's similar. It's not really similar, but it's it's something unique that I have that was what caused the same effect for me. And it was that I'm pretty stubborn. And when I started, I I failed so many times. And because I was stubborn is why I kept changing yeah. and going again and doing it again yeah. until yeah. it started working. 
so yeah. I think there's another another word that you could use. This I think being I think you're being unfair to yourself to say that you're stubborn. I mean, you, I'm, if you want to call yourself stubborn, go for it. But I think there's another word that 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 that, that really gives you the credit you deserve, which is tenacity. You are tenacious. Yes. Yeah. That does it does sound better. I it sounds more badass. I think. I think so. Yeah. I personally thought because uh, I know my parents always used to say how stubborn I was, so I figured maybe it is. Maybe I'm just stubborn, but uh, there's a good chance that it is tenacity. Yeah. So now you sold that. So you got that to you. You said it's about six million, and then you were approached to to sell it, or did you approach um, somebody? Uh so. It was early 2019, and I had begun to hear whispers on the grapevine that, uh, and and 2019 in in e-commerce years is about a decade ago, right? Mm-hmm. E-commerce years are, are even even bigger than dog years, um, and I began to hear whispers that that selling an e-commerce business or buying and selling e-commerce businesses was becoming more mainstream. And there were, there were organizations out there who wanted to particularly acquire e-commerce businesses to roll them up into their portfolio. I had a friend who'd sold two e-commerce businesses, but he'd sold them to private individuals. And I, I spoke to him a bit and got some advice. And I spoke to some different brokers. And I approached, in the end, I settled on one in particular, and I, and I approached them. And the experience with them was interesting. Uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster, and in the end, um, the business. Was, so that was what February or March 2019. Sold the business Halloween 2019 um, at, at exactly four minutes to midnight, <laughs> and it was the experience with that broker which led me to starting the new brokerage um, because there there were some particular pitfalls that that could have been catastrophic had my accountant not saved the day. And so at the end of the process, we said to each other, well, we can do a better job of this. And so we combined our skills, me on the e-commerce side, understanding, you know, everything from product development to, you know, email marketing and Allison, who's got like 25 years mergers and acquisitions experience and is a specialist e-commerce accountant. It was a no brainer. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't really approach a, a buyer directly and I, I wasn't approached. I, I went through a broker. Okay. Gotcha. And that was from, from my math, if I'm correct, that was like at the peak of the scary COVID, you know, at the time when we know nothing about uh, it. It was, yeah, it was right before. Yeah. So COVID hit, what a COVID hit like January, February, March, 2020. Yeah, that's right. And I sold October, 2019. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember. Right. Yeah. It was October. Yeah. And so yeah, COVID hit like a few months later which actually benefited me for the first year of my earnout because there was a huge uptick in sales because everybody was sitting at home on their asses and they're like, well, I'll just buy stuff online. And um, so, you know, I benefited from that. There's no doubt about it. On the other hand, I probably sold at a time where if I'd sold maybe a year later, I would have got a higher multiple because, you know, we, we, we had a, we had a peak in the strength of multiples in e-commerce about probably a year later. Gotcha. So that's how you sold yours, and then you started your own brokerage firm, and that's Ecom Brokers. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about what Ecom Brokers does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're in the UK, but we're, we work internationally thanks to the, the power of Zoom and, uh, <laughs> and all these good software packages. Um, 
we help e-commerce business owners, but also SaaS business owners and, and agency owners um, plan and then execute um, the ideal exit such that they get the best possible deal and a fair deal structure in terms of what they're looking for according to their goals, their values, their aspirations. Um, our job is essentially to, to carefully sell a business as opposed to flipping it and to avoid the pitfalls of selling directly um, to a potential buyer. Um, you know, a lot of people are getting approached by the aggregators, if you want to call them that, who, you know, it's quite clever. I take my hat off to them. They have, have software which scrapes Amazon and finds the details of um, the sellers. And then they contact the sellers and say, hey, we, we love your business. We'd love to buy it from you. It sounds amazing. It's very exciting. Oh man, I've been banging my head off a brick wall and crying down the phone to sell a support for the last five hours. And now someone wants to buy my business. Woo! But the reality is either they actually don't want to buy your business and you were just part of a mass cold outreach campaign or yeah, they want to buy it, but they want to buy it from you for as little as they possibly can. And because that's their business model, right? And fair enough, their business model is buy them cheap, roll them up and sell them on the higher multiple or go public. And they're obligated to their shareholders and investors to buy the business for as little as possible. And so these guys who are really experienced financial guys and experienced negotiators will, will dangle a carrot in front of you that's pretty massive. It's potentially the biggest amount of money you could ever imagine having, but your business is not worth a carrot. It's worth a whole sack of carrots. So that's you know why you don't want to end up dealing with these guys on your own. You want to have your take your business through a, a process with a brokerage firm to maximize the value of it and then market it to the right firm and get the deal right. And so that, you know, when I... I the experience I had could have been better. And so it was the, it's the classic thing, isn't it? You scratch your own itch, right? You see a problem, you want to solve it. And so we decided to create a better a better experience. So why do you think people want to sell their businesses? Of course, there's one obvious, which is like getting a yeah. bunch of cash all at once. Absolutely. Uh, so besides that, is there any reasons for people to sell their businesses? Sure. Um, and it, you know, everybody's different and everybody's business is different. Um, one of the most frequent one that I come across is somebody has built their brand to a particular point. And when they first started, every morning they'd wake up with this get up and go feeling, I'm going to go work on my business. And that feeling has dissipated. And that's completely fine and natural. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it is a red flag, or maybe it's, a, it's an amber flag that you might want to start thinking about selling because if you don't have the, um, the enthusiasm for your business anymore, it certainly is probably is unlikely to continue to grow. Um, you're, you're either about to reach a plateau or even a decline. Many times, these same people have actually got a new project that they're more excited about that does give them that get up and go. And they need money for that new project. So a great source of that money is to sell the first project, sell the first business, take some money off the table, potentially you know, life-changing money, put some away, pay off the mortgage, and put some into your new project, the one that you are ex extremely excited about. And you're, you've, you've gained a whole load of experience from your first business and now you're ready for it. Other people want to retire. Other people want to move away from e-commerce. They're done and that's fine too. And some people just recognize, holy smokes, we're growing really well. We haven't maxed out growth here. There's a ton of growth for a potential buyer. It's an ideal time to sell. Um, you know, if I, if I may, there's a really um, somewhat wishy-washy analogy that I quite like. And it was, it was told to me actually by my dad shortly before I sold my first business, which was this, which was sell at the point of peak romance. Some people will be like, the hell does that mean, Ben? Well, 
it's the point at which you think, oh boy, this could be something. But there's no real guarantees it could be some be something. Mm-hmm. And it probably needs a whole bunch of resources to make it be something. If you sell at that point, you've got a bunch of growth history behind you. There's a whole bunch of potential growth provided it gets the right people and resources behind it. So there's a lot of meat on the bone for a potential buyer to attract them. You can sell then, get a good deal, and structure the deal such that you can benefit from the upside. But if you sell then and it doesn't quite reach that enormous potential that you hoped, well, you got out at the right time. That is, I think that's good advice. And tell me, for somebody that is growing their business, how can you make sure that it is sellable? Sure. Uh, Right, because I'm guessing there are a lot of things out there that yeah. we may not even be aware and nobody wants to touch them or nobody wants to buy that for certain reasons. So how so, can I make sure it's sellable? There's, se- well, so there's seven seven aspects and I'll, I'll name them in a sec. But one thing I, I ought to mention is there'll be people listening saying, but I never want to sell. That's absolutely fine although your circumstances may change. So it's a, what's a, it's a really good idea to set up your business as if you're going to sell. Because there's a happy side effect that when you do that, it starts to run itself a whole bunch better anyway. And you'll find that you scale up, become more efficient, your bottom line goes up. So that's important to note. And here, here's the seven aspects. The first one is timing, right? You want to time your exit, like I mentioned before, so that you're growing, but you're not maxed out. The second is stability, which means that you're selling products in a favorable niche, you're not participating in any black hat strategies, and your business is transferable, right? Because when somebody buys your business, they want to pick it up, pick up your brand and drop it into their existing ecosystem. So the more transferable it is, and the more easier it is for them to do that, the more attractive it is to them, and therefore the more they're willing to pay for it. And by the way, favorable niches would be things like toys and games, sports and outdoors, home and garden, baby, etc. Less favorable niches would be things that are likely to become technologically obsolete, for example. The third topic is documentation. You really want to make sure that you have good record keeping of everything that you can imagine somebody would want to look at when they're interested in buying your business. So that's all your financials, audited accounts, your tax documents, your company formation documents, all your systems and processes. Your business needs to be defensible, right? A potential buyer wants to buy something that is a low-risk investment. And the best way to make your business defensible is to have a real legitimate brand and not just be selling a mishmash of stuff. In fact, if you were just selling a mishmash of stuff, I would argue that your business is worth nothing because no one wants to buy it. So by having a real brand, you know, a strong brand identity with raving fans on and off Amazon, social media presence intellectual property that protects your brand, not just where you're selling, but also where you're manufacturing. So for example, in China, patents, if you designed your own products, it's a great way to make your business defensible. The fifth one is diversification. So it's the classic, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So diversify your products, diversify all within the same brand, of course, diversify the channels you're on, Amazon, Walmart, maybe you're on Etsy, your own website, diversify your international offering. US, Canada, Mexico, maybe Europe, or leave that as a growth lever that somebody can pull to attract them as a carrot on a stick. SKUs. You don't want to have just one or two SKUs. What happens if the factory gets shut down or somebody puts in a patent infringement claim on you and you can't sell your product anymore, or your industry suddenly becomes much more regulated and you can't sell it anymore. So have 
have plenty of SKUs that you can you can absorb that risk. You don't want to have too many though. You don't want to be too complex. I think a sweet spot is sort of between about four and say 25, maybe as much as 40. And then traffic, right? If you're driving traffic to your own website, for example, you can't just be relying on one Facebook ad or Facebook ad account. You want to have multiple sources of traffic. So Facebook, Google, Instagram, Pinterest, wherever your audience is, right? If you're selling knitting products, Pinterest would be great. If you're selling sports products, Pinterest is not quite so good, for example. Uh, number six is suppliers. When somebody buys your brand, they're effectively buying your relationship with your suppliers. So make sure that you have great suppliers with high quality standards. They're meeting all your quality inspections. They've been audited from an environmental and social point of view. Last thing you want to do is accidentally be working with a factory that's actually a sweatshop. Um, if you can visit your supplier, now that things are opening up again, if your supplier's in, in China, for instance, go over there or meet them at a trade show halfway around the world in Europe, for instance. You know, it's a great, that's a great way to know if your, your supplier is good, right? If they're willing to travel halfway around the world to a trade show, you can be pretty sure that they're legit. And the last one is efficiency. I said before, they want to pick up your brand and drop it into your system. So the more efficient and easy you can make it for them, the more they're willing to pay for your business. So automate things like PPC, inventory management, email flows, chatbots. Have a team of freelancers looking after the day-to-day, -day, like just the day-to-day -day management of your Amazon Seller Central, just checking on everything, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I've rambled on. That's the seven aspects. I call it, We call it the seven foundations of value. So for that transferable uh, idea, uh, does that mean they're going to want to see or and even own like your SOPs if you have any operating procedures? Yeah. They they want that as well. Yeah, I, I would, and you know, yeah. Um, if you have SOPs, let them have them. You know, that's adding value, um, and you can use all those things, and or rather in partnership with your with your broker and your broker ought to be connecting you with a mergers and acquisitions attorney all of these things are stacking the deck in your favor when it comes to negotiating the deal right and of course if you're working on another project of course make sure you keep copies of all these things so you can use them again for your new business um but yes um systems and processes even a team you know sometimes you might have a team of freelancers vas if you want to call them that i like to call them freelancers because I, i i i don't like to call virtual assistants virtual assistants because i like to think of them as real team members they oftentimes will actually transfer with the business people will be listening saying but i want to keep working with them on my new project you can very oftentimes you know they'll transfer with the business and work with the new owners for a few months as the new owner gets up to speed and then they'll transfer back to you And that's uh, assuming, which I, I would I would do the same thing too. That the previous owner, let's say, if I sold my brand, I would start another one, or not yeah. necessarily the same niche or anything, yeah. but I would definitely start another one. Yep, yep. You've that's the thing. You've developed all these skills, and now you've got a whole bunch more money behind you. A safe. Not only is there a safety net from a personal point of view, but now you have capital, so you can enter. And I'm doing this myself, right? You can enter niches that previously were not available to you. For example, my first brand, Beast Gear, the first product was a skipping, a jump rope um, that we saw. I, I was buying for a few bucks from China. I'm now developing. I'm now developing a baby brand. This is the second prototype of our baby carrier. I've spent 30 grand. I don't know what that is in British pounds. What's that? 40,000 bucks on the design of that. Yeah. And it's, I'm going to pay upwards of 30 bucks a unit. But That's great because to me, the higher the barrier, the entry, the better, because it means fewer people can can come and do it. So once you have that cash behind you, 
you you can um yeah you can go and do do different things with with less competition and, and probably higher margins definitely so um i don't i don't know if uh if you want if you want a tip when it comes to uh not as an e-commerce tip but as a parent mm. uh i had twins <laughs> so when that's a handful yeah, when it came time for searching, and this is because you showed me what product you're, you're you're working on. When it came time to buy things for twins, for example, baby carriers and stuff like that that go like mounted on you, normally carry one baby. That's it. So if the one parent goes out by themselves, uh, they have to figure out a second a solution for that second baby. So yeah. that is, I mean, not everybody has twins. So like your, your market size goes down a bit, but. Well, the riches are in the niches. Exactly. And, and actually more and more twins are being born. I only know this because of my wife's work. She works in the health service as a health visitor. I don't know if you have that in the States, but over here, that's like after the baby's been born, like the midwife comes and visits until the baby's like 10 days old. And then you hand it over to a health visitor. who like checks in until the baby's like five. And they're seeing more and more twins being born. They're not sure why, but a high proportion of it is from more and more IVF treatment happening. So there are more and more twins being born, just as, a, as an interesting side note there. Well, uh, to be honest, I notice now so many, but I figured it was like, like confirmation bias because now yeah. I have twins. So I notice them all the time while yeah. before I, I didn't, right? It's like... Yeah, that's probably true as well. It's like when you own the yellow Volkswagen Beetle and after, <laughs> you see after you, around. now you see them everywhere and until that <laughs> day you never saw them <laughs> same thing yeah so ben tell me something what's the average uh, multiple for a i would hate to say amazon business but an e-commerce business yeah is there an average multiple the the answer to that is there there is or or there was um it depends when the person listening to this is listening to this. I'm hoping if you're listening to this in, you know, six, nine months time, things have improved. So let me just explain a few bits and pieces. A few months ago, I was telling everyone the average multiple is five and they're between sort of two and top end, like eight. And you'll hear various organizations shouting from the rooftops about really high multiples, but they've, they've manipulated their numbers to, to sound like they're, they're selling businesses for really high. And the average is about five provided you've got a strong brand. However, um, recently there has been a pullback from aggregators and other private equity in the acquisition of brands as they shift their focus to working on the brands that they already own. The reason for this is the global supply chain issues that we've been having and the fact that they've come to realize that their operational capability has been pretty poor. You know, Many of them are financial guys who know how to raise money, but they know diddly squat about e-commerce. Having said that, there are some great aggregators who have great operational capability. The ones who haven't been great are getting their house in order and hopefully will improve uh, over the, the rest of this year in 2022. So multiples have taken a hit. However, a lot of people have been losing their minds about this and they don't need to. If you have a crappy business that just sells a mishmash of stuff, you don't need to worry because it was worth nothing anyway. <laughs> If you have a great business that is a phenomenal brand, you don't need to worry because it's a great business and it's a phenomenal brand. And if you have a great business that is a phenomenal brand, it can sell for a strong multiple. You might want to wait a little while 
as until the market picks up. Because at the minute, it's not so much that your business won't sell for a strong multiple. It's just that the buyers aren't buying anything full stop. So it's not like they want to buy your business for very little. They don't really want to buy anything at all. But in a few months, they will. And if you have a great brand, regardless of kind of what's going on in this environment and all the noise, a great brand is a great brand and there will be a buyer for it regardless. So people don't need to get in too much of a, of a tiz about it. The other thing I would just add on multiples is multiples are really important, but it's a, it's a little bit like how everyone says that like um, revenue is a vanity statistics, right? Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not quite the same. Multiples are important, but what's more important is the overall deal. You know, and it all depends on the business and people's personal circumstances. You know, we might sell a business for only a three to three and a half X, but it's a hundred percent cash at closing. On the other hand, we might sell a business and it's like, you know, six and a half X. It's not a hundred percent cash at closing, but there's a very attractive earnout because the potential owner, or sorry, the original owner recognizes the potential upside um, over the next couple of years. And, and, it, and it, it all depends. Okay, gotcha. So um, another thing I want to know is uh, years ago, I remember when it is probably many years ago, but when somebody was trying to buy a brand, they wanted to know what was on the shelves, kind of like, do you sell at Costco? Do you sell at Walmart? Uh, yeah. And that was super important. And I remember many years ago, uh, uh, me telling somebody that I also, besides selling at Costco, that I also sold on eBay. And, and they're like, yeah, I, that, that doesn't matter. And I'm like, well, I have like 700 listings on eBay that are selling every day. How does it not matter? So did things change? And now is it the opposite? Do they not care about Costco and Walmart on the shelf, not online? Or they still care? They do care. Yeah. It depends on a few things. One, it depends on how much you're doing in the physical stores uh, and who you're doing it with and the relationship you have with them. Like, for example, suppose, you have a, suppose you're selling with Costco right now and you're actually only selling on Costco.com. Well, it only takes one phone call and one deal with Costco if they like what you're doing on Costco.com for them to say, well, we're going to give you a trial, interna- uh, trial nationally across Costco stores in the US. And if that goes well, well, we're gonna we're gonna ship you to Europe as well, and suddenly your business is completely blown up. So they do care about that kind of thing. For instance, it, but it also depends on who the who the buyer is. So if you're selling to more mature private equity who's been running uh, brands for decades, then yeah, they can definitely handle retail. If you're selling to a more run of the mill aggregator, more and more of them are getting better, getting more sophisticated, and able to handle things like like being in physical stores like like Walmart and Costco. Um, however, there are some who will either say, no, we're only interested in something that's, that's hundred percent online, or if you've got a very small proportion offline, they will probably just, you know, let that bit go after they've acquired the business. Gotcha. So how about the inventory? Let's say somebody approaches me to buy one of my brands and I have a ton of inventory that's already at. Uh, third-party storage or at the Amazon FBA warehouses or whatever, uh, are they going to pay that inventory at my landed cost? Is it at the sell value? How does that part work? They should pay you for it at landed cost. However, um, many times what they will try to do in the offer that they make to you 
is, and it's effectively um, just a way for them to, to, to save money, um, is, is they will say, we want you to include, uh, very often they'll do it in a time frame. So that we want you to include one month or two months or three months worth of inventory for free. Um, it, essentially, it, it's, it's, it's to give themselves more working. It's basically working capital. Um, and part of the, you know, very oftentimes what they'll, uh, the initial offer that they make in their, in their offer will be a bit unreasonable. And it's part of the job of the broker and the mergers and acquisitions attorney to bring the offer that they make closer to the middle and more in favor, in line favoring you because they really, really, they ought to be paying for hundred percent of the inventory, but depending on the rest of the deal, oftentimes they will, you know, some will be, some will be uh, included in the deal, but it's that landed cost. Nice. So Ben, now there's something I want to ask you because I heard about the e-com brokers movie. What is this? What's going on? All right. Yeah. Um, if people head up, so our URL is ecombrokers.co.uk. If you head over to ecombrokers.co.uk slash movie, um, you will find four, no, five short, fun videos, like two minutes long each. Watch them in order um, that we made to highlight um, some important issues in this space which could be quite boring and dry topics. So we decided to make some engaging, fun, almost slapstick videos. And they're basically, it's, it's four ways not to sell your business. That's what it's about. So All right. it's, 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 uh, it's don't sell direct to an aggregator. Don't use a generic flipper service. Don't sell through a dodgy marketplace and don't sell through a slimy consultant. And so we, uh, yeah, we made four, four silly videos and then a fifth trailer, almost like Hollywood style. So people should check it out. It's good fun. All right. I, I want to check it out because I honestly did not see them. So I'm going to have that on the show notes and I'm going to check them out uh, in a few minutes. So ecombrokers.co.uk forward slash movie. That's it. That's it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Man. So Ben, tell me, uh, where can people find out more about Ecom Brokers, about you and... Let us know all your links. Yeah, sure. Uh, ecombrokers is ecombrokers.co.uk. Um, you can email me, ben at ecombrokers.co.uk. Happy to help. Um, you know, we're we're a relationship-based, you know, organization. So I'm happy to just jump on calls and, you know, have a chat to people and help them. You know, no hard sell. That's not what we do. Um, we're on all the main social media channels. The handle is ecombrokers. And my handle on, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is Ben Leonard Pro. And um, and I'm on LinkedIn, so get me on LinkedIn as well. All right. So, uh, Ben, and for everybody listening, I'm going to have all those links here on the show notes so you can check them out because I know a lot of people listen to this while they're driving or running on a treadmill. Uh, I even heard somebody told, uh, told me that they listen to the show while they're in the sauna. So in the sauna, okay. In the sauna, so not, yeah. I, I, would, I would be worried that the heat would destroy my, uh, my earphones on my phone, but maybe... I, I actually... I actually mentioned that uh, because uh, I, I thought it was there's two types of sauna. What is the the hot, humid one and the dry one? Yeah, the infrared one. It is the the wet one, but they oh. have waterproof earbuds. <laughs> so good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might you have know, to try that. You can find anything on Amazon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There you go. So, Ben, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here, and I hope a lot of people contact you from this. Thanks so much. Cheers, Quinn.
Thank you.